everything lost will be renewed Long ago in the garden it was to be Now a dream fulfilled in you and me Hey, hey, hey! Welcome! Welcome back to everybody. Man, this is... Oh, wow, this is episode 24. This is the last one of season one. I don't know how many... Um, seasons I'm going to end up doing. I don't know what the future holds, but this season has been so much fun of doing this podcast one episode after another. And today for the last episode, I've waited to do this one. It is on the nine words of worship that we are supposed to um, engage in and express in uh, with worshiping God. I've been waiting to do this one um, because I wanted to do it a little bit more full study on it, but also I wanted to present it as a kind of a climax to some of the other topics that we've discussed. And I've brought in worship and I've talked about worshiping God. And this brings it back home because to me, worship, everything centers in our life, if we don't understand worship or we belittle it or we put it to the side, we are not able to grow. We're not able to be in the capacity that God wants us to be, but also knowing him, being intimate with him. We're not able to get there without understanding worship. We're not able to receive his His word. I've talked about so many aspects throughout this season on my podcast, and so I wanted to bring it home with this. And so I'll start out with moving in the spirit. This is something that God spoke to me a while back. Um, just We talk about this all the time. We talk about walking in the Spirit. We talk about moving in the Spirit. and But it doesn't seem like hardly anybody knows what that means. We're like, well, wh- how do I do that? We just hope that we are or we guess that we are. But God started giving me some simple, basic understanding of it. And it starts with understanding that it's simple. It's not something that is so complicated but it's also something that is real. We have to understand that the spirit is real. It's not an imaginary place. It's not on the other side of the universe. It's not it's, um, away from us. It is present. We are both made of physical bodies, but we are also made with a spirit in us. And so God breathed into man, gave us spirit, that breath of life, And so into our bodies and we became a living soul. And so we are a soul, mind, will, and emotions. And so that's how we think. That's how we we perceive the world. That's how we operate in the world. But we have to understand our connection to the spirit and that we actually move in the spirit by our choices that we make, the way that we think, the way we engage in life. And so we're actually moving from place to place, just like when you decide to get up and go shopping to get food for your family or whatever it is you may be doing, you're moving physically from place to place. In the spirit, we are doing the same thing. We understand that through um the reality that God gives us in worship. And so, but I want to emphasize that, that God wants us to actually move. He doesn't want us to, to just think about things and imagine things. He wants us to actually move. So he's given us words. He's given us things to help us understand how to do these things. Now, another aspect of it is we have to position ourselves in very real ways Um, The places that we have to be in the spirit are different. I cannot 
stay where I am. I cannot just say, okay, God, give me in a passive way. Just give me whatever you want. I want what you want for me. And I'll just be here waiting. No, if I'm not in that place, if I've not developed my spiritual life and actually walked with God where he wants me to be, I'm not in a place to receive. And so it's just like if somebody gives you um, an inheritance, and but you have to go meet with an attorney to sign that, you can sit there and say, well, if they want me to have it, they'll give it to me. But the truth is, if you're not actually going there and signing that paperwork, you are not going to receive that inheritance. Now, inheritance is not necessarily the best example. God uses inheritance in different regards, and I've talked about that as, it, as pertaining to spiritual gifts. And that definitely ties in with it, that God has an inheritance that he wants to give us. And we can't receive them unless we grow up, unless we become capable and functional. And there's many, many things that people have misunderstood about the gifts of the Spirit. They think that it's just a gift, that God just gives it. And he does. It is something that he gives. But it's something that we are either present to receive or we have made ourselves available or made ourselves capable of using. God's not going to give a machine gun to a five-year-old. He's going to only give us the weapons or the tools that we need to use if we are in a spiritual place to be capable of functioning with those. And so he's waiting on us. He's calling us, he's teaching us, and showing us how. And in worship, this is something that is so beautiful that it's not something that we have this difficult of, well, I guess I guess it will just happen. But a lot of times we are. We're, we're not actually able to understand this. And so when I started breaking this down and I first encountered this, this mindset that God really spoke to me, it's not hard to actually move in the Spirit, to actually obey Him. Now, obviously, if we don't obey from the heart and we're just doing things symbolically or just going through motions, that's never going to please God. That's never going to please God. That can't please God. But when we do physical things... As we're going to go in and talk about all these nine different words, I've, I've just been so filled with excitement and just blown away again and again by the definitions of these words, of, of the context that God uses them and how we're supposed to worship him. But we cannot, we cannot break through um, the things that God wants us to tear down without understanding worship without being in that place of obedience to, and he tells us to do simple things. Let's do them. Let's not symbolize them. Let's not make them into some symbolic gesture about, well, this or that. And so then we're like, well, since it's, it's about the symbolic, God wants the reality. So let's not even do the symbolic. That's we, we lose the connection because it's not just symbolic for one thing. Many of these actions, when we physically engage especially with the intent, with the worshiping God in spirit and in truth, in the reality of obedience. When we are doing that, we find that immediately this mixture of the anointing of God. I just spoke about the anointing in the previous episode, so if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to anointing. But he mixes, he mingles himself with us. And so when we act and we portray these words of worship in our physical being, we find that he mingles himself with us and we begin to operate and experience and move in the spirit from one place to another. It's, and the way I've talked about it many times is like grasping in the dark. If you go into a dark room 
and you don't know what's there, you're going to move very slow and you're going to start moving around. You probably bump into something and you start feeling around pretty soon. You can figure out what the, what is in your way and you can move about a little bit easier. And the more you feel it, the more you begin to recognize objects in the dark. And you're like, oh, I can touch that. I can feel that. Oh, that's a, that is a couch or whatever it is in the dark room. You begin to figure it out. Well, in the spirit, that's the way we are moving. And so we don't understand this because we see with our physical eyes and we don't see perfectly in the spirit. We get glimpses. We get um, just premonitions, ideas, or, or like I said, feeling in the dark. So when we obey God through the physical acts that these forms of worship take, what it does is it begins to allow us to understand. And we're feeling around in the dark, beginning to understand more and more. And you'll get, you'll get what I'm saying as I get deeper into this, because understanding the spirit, learning to see in the spirit, learning to recognize in the spirit and operate and move in the spirit are, are things that are vitally important. But very difficult to convey the the meaning of it. We try to explain it, and then sometimes we we don't even get it ourselves. We just know that it's real, and we start talking about, oh yeah, moving in the spirit. But it's something that God wants us to be able to grasp in our minds, operate in our obedience, and then transfer that into running full speed in the spirit to the things that God wants us to accomplish. So the nine Hebrew words that God uses are individual words that I don't want there to be a misunderstanding. I want this to be very clear. God requires that we do each one of these things. It is not optional. We do not get the option to say, well, I'm going to worship God in what feels comfortable to me. I might like one of these or two or three of these words might be more natural to one person and not as natural to another person. So we were like, well, I'm not going to fake it or I'm not going to act like I'm this or that. Well, God doesn't give us that option. And it's because it's all, it's about each one of us growing. It's about each one of us experiencing God. And it's not about what you are as a person. It's about what God wants you to experience in him, how you can be intimate with him, how you can be um, completed more through obedience, through these words that we are about to go into. But they're not optional, like I said. They are not personality dependent. Get that through your head. Just because one might be, you might see someone with a certain personality do it more easily doesn't mean that you won't benefit and that you aren't called to do it. They are also not difficult. They really aren't. They might be difficult in the sense that we have a mentality or a comfort zone that we have to get past. And so it's difficult in that regard. But the actual choice, the actual action to engage with is not complicated. It's something that even little children can engage with. And we can all do this in a way that benefits us. They teach us, they show us how to interact with God. And that is so key because what are we doing? We're always asking, well, how is God, you know, what am I supposed to do? Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I guess I'll just trust and obey, I'll obey these, you know, that I'm supposed to get up and pray and I'm supposed to read my Bible and I'm supposed to go to church or, or whatever it is. Or we might say, well, you know what? That isn't helping me. That's not really benefiting me. So I'm just not going to do it. And so we're asking this question. So it's, God is teaching us how to interact with him. Um, all these, each one of these aspects of worship, they will make our worship 
whole. They'll make us make it complete. They'll take it will take us deeper and give us um, more of him and have be more empowering because that's one of the things that happens in worship. When you get close to God, you begin to gain the authority and the power of the intimacy because you have the direct contact with him. And then you can go speak with confidence the truth and reality that changes the situation, that heals people, that brings um, a dynamic deliverance into people's lives. And I'll go through each of these nine words, and I'm not going to take a long time on each one of them because I could probably, honestly, if I wanted to really take the time, I could probably spend an hour on each word and they would be worth that. They would absolutely be worth that. And so in a Bible study setting or something like that might be good. Maybe, maybe do a whole series of podcasts episodes with each one on each one of these words would be a good thing to do. I don't feel led to do that right now. That's not what God's been putting on my heart, but I want to get you thinking. I want you to begin to understand and see how you could benefit and how you could begin to use these in your expressions of worship. I'm not going to exhaust every aspect of it, but I'm going to bring out some a few things that, that God has put on my heart. And so let's start um, going into these. Let's start with uh, the first word is mechol. It is the Strong's word in Hebrew, um, 4234. And I'll give all the numbers so you can look those up if you want to do your own studies. I'm going to put these words out there. But it simply means to twist, to leap, to dance, to twirl. Now, I know dancing, I started out with dancing because I wanted to start with breaking the ice. Dancing is something that there are actually denominations, there's groups of people that honestly believe that it's wrong. I have encountered that, and I don't know where they get that because the Bible is full of dancing. And so I don't understand how you can come to that conclusion. So, But I don't want to argue and debate that. What I want to just talk about is the dancing aspects. Again, I have to say this, this is not optional. If you think you are not a dancer, you have to think again. So dancing, it breaks the control of social inhibition that binds us and keeps us back from giving our all. Do you understand that? If you are inhibited and you are unable to dance, I'm not saying, again, each one of these words are going to be used at different times. It's not like when you have to do all these all the time, every single time. God wants you to experience each one of them. Each one of these things is something that you, if you haven't experienced, you don't know God on that level. That's the cool thing. This is not about condemn. you know, it's not condemnation. It's not putting somebody down and saying, well, you aren't doing this. Now, if you're not obeying God, then you need to hear his spirit. If he's telling you to do it, and you haven't done it and you're resistant, get over yourself, humble yourself, and do it. But dancing is something that I personally experienced. When I experienced the freedom of God in worship, and I'll just share a little bit of testimony, I was a young kid, had different difficulties, and I remember being in church, and the first time I, I wanted to raise my hands, but I was sitting there looking around, and I saw some, some other people raising my hands, but I, I just, raising their hands, sorry. I, I couldn't do it. 
And so I kind of started raising my hands a little bit. And, I, and then I realized, hey, nobody's paying any attention to me. Nobody cares whether I do it. And it kind of started breaking that off. But I remember when the power of the Holy Spirit hit me to actually be able to dance before him and worship him through dance. It was, I was actually at a concert in Chattanooga, Tennessee at the Tivoli Theater and Third Day was playing and they were on their second album. That's how far back this goes. So I'll date myself a little bit there and called Conspiracy Number Five. And that tour, they were playing the song, um, Do You Know Who I Am? And I've probably talked about this to uh, many different people, maybe even on other episodes I've mentioned this. I remember just raising my hands and singing to the Lord with all that I had because I realized he sees me. There's nothing in me that is hidden. He knows every single thought, every single thing that I have done. And so when I when that just hit me, the reality of that, I just let it go. And from then on, it broke this social inhibition off of me. And from then on, I was able to engage in worship in new ways, in ways that before I had been controlled and I had been had fear of what someone might think. Now, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about what someone might think. All I have to do is look to him and discern what he wants me to do right then because he is speaking and he is leading and I can engage with him in many different ways, specifically these nine different ways. So, Mechol, to twist and leap and dance but it's also, this is something that really fascinated me. When I was looking into this word, it doesn't just mean to dance. It does mean that, but it also means to twist and to twirl. And it's used in the context of childbirthing because a woman in pain will, will, will twist from discomfort. So it's, it's used in that context. But I was just blown away with how real that is. When you break through this barrier of being inhibited, you bring forth, you become a new person. It does, it breaks it off. You're bringing forth the aspect of God in your life, in your heart, to becoming this new person that is able to celebrate and worship God in a way that you didn't before. So it brings forth new life, just like a woman who's having a baby. Moving on, the next word is yada. It comes from the Strong's word 3045. And it comes from the root word yad. Um, a lot of Hebrew is like that. It's broken down in different syllables or different words, and they combine them to mean to then get more full meaning. But the word yad mean is um, is basically a term for to cast, to show, direct, give directions, to point with your hand. But yada um, adds to it this context of worship of praising God. So it's like raising your hands. That's one of the most natural first things that people start begin to do when they worship God. Um, when they step beyond just singing songs or just being there, they begin to raise their hands. And this is what the word yada um, encapsules in its meaning. And it's, it's funny because this term is so cool. Yada means that just like... Um, a baby wants to be held. It will hold its hands up. Just when we begin to worship God, we, we want to use our hands. We want to point, to, to ask, to, re, in, to become intimate, to become close. And it's actually the um, root word is the same word as Judah. Judah 
is the root of Judah, which means to praise God, which is the lion of the tribe of Judah, is the tribe of praise and worship, the warrior, the 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 um, fierceness of the lion, which we'll get into some of that, man. The, I, I, I love worship. I love talking about these things. It, it's so empowering. It's so, it brings me close to God. But the word Judah means to praise, means simply to praise. And the word yada means to, to raise our hands, to cast, to point, to show God. So it, it brings a lot of things, but knowing God is what that's about. Like the intimacy of a baby who wants to be held. But also, here's the thing that when I studied that word, I was blown away by this reality that is used in an such an intimate way. It's used in the reference to sex. When the, we talk about knowing someone in the biblical sense, it's referring to sex. It's referring, it, that word is used when when in the King James it says, and Abraham knew his wife. The word yada is the word that is used there. So when we're talking about the being close to God in worship, we're talking about intimacy. We're talking about the allegory that God has used of romance and and being connected with our spouse and the way that that is pure and holy, God has used that as an example. And Paul says that's a mystery. That knowing, understanding all the relationships of people is a mystery. But we're actually, he's talking in context about knowing God, and that's something that God has made clear. It's not a mystery. And that's this is part of getting rid of that disguise, that mystery. Mystery means uh, in the mist or in the cloud, not able to see clearly. God has revealed Himself shown us these things. He's given us these words like yada to bring us close to him. So it is, uh, it is, I don't know if you've experienced this, but every one of us who, who have experienced this knows that when you raise your hands in that pure form of worship, what the closeness, the intimacy that you begin to experience and have that closeness with God, it's beautiful. It's what these things. And so when we talk about this, these words are not so nebulous. They're not hard. They're, it, it's empowering. This is not something to be afraid of. And I say that because I've talked with other people about this, this conversation. And a lot of times people start to freeze up like, you mean I'm supposed to do that? I, 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 I can't do that. But the reality is God is making, he brings us one step at a time. And these words like yada, you've probably done it without knowing it. You've probably done it in, in different moments. But if you haven't, Begin to step into it. The next word is tada, and it comes from similar as the. It's actually rooted in in yada as well, but tada has a different meaning. It is it comes from it is the word. Sorry, the Strong's number is eighty four twenty six. It means to give a sacrifice of praise. And a sacrifice of praise in the Bible, there's many different times when they gave sacrifices, literally gave sacrifices, but it, it means to give of something that really matters to you, your, your sustenance. You know, when they gave animals a sacrifice, the, that animal represented um, food and or be able to sell it to, for, to make a living. These represented a lot to, to people. And so giving a sacrifice was not just symbolic. It was real. It really was a sacrifice. But... It goes much deeper. Tada is to worship publicly. To worship publicly. This is not something that you can do by yourself. A sacrifice of praise, um, yeah, you might be giving up a sacrifice of praise to some extent when you're by yourself. 
uh, and when, especially if you're going through a hardship and you're just, you, you just turn it over to God and you're, and you're like, I'm going to worship no matter what the pain. I just experienced this yesterday. Yesterday was the one year anniversary of my dad dying. And so I was thinking about that and it just turned into an expression of worshiping God. That was a sacrifice of praise that I could give and I could get close to him and I could be wrapped in the arms of my father, my, my true father, that my, my dad, my natural father is present with God there in a way that, that I long to be, I was able to get into that place of, of just letting that pain, letting those things go and worship God and, and just be longing for him. And so that was a giving of sacrifice of praise. But what it means on a, on a more practical level of, uh, in your life is to join a procession, <laughs> people who are going somewhere, who are, who are d- putting on display a worship of God. And, and, you know, it, it can be any number of things. It doesn't have to be in a physical um, procession or or a parade, but it does include that. It definitely includes that. But the idea is that you're joining with other people. You're not doing this by yourself. Another definition of verses actually use these words in translations to sing in a choir, a bunch of voices together, um, to offer thanksgiving with a company in a congregation. That's what we're doing. And that's because that's a big part of praise to enter his courts with thanksgiving. We're supposed to do that. We come together. And so it's a sacrifice of praise. It's giving your time. It's giving your money. It's giving. So when we tithe, when we are offering our financial resources to further the kingdom of God, this is all part of Tada. But to sing, to offer thanksgiving in a liturgical worship. Um, I know that liturgical may not sit well with a lot of people. Some people may embrace that more easily because of their, their style of church. But liturgical um, is a simple me- meaning of just of religious or or spiritual um, offerings of steps and process that we go through, and that's not a bad thing. Yes, you can do that with no real connection to God, and you might just be going through a process. And so that may be why some some of you um, you hear that word liturgical and kind of have a resistance to it. And I, I don't embrace that at all. I do not embrace being liturgical and being disconnected from a, a real relationship with God. That's what actually all these things are about. So tada, but it has to do with more of a public thing of being joined with. And you can't do that on your own. If you think that you can sit in your room or, or stay at home and not publicly join with other people, you cannot enter into this place of giving a sacrifice of praise in the heart and the intent that God intends us. So that is what Tada is about. The fourth word is Shabbat. It comes from, oh, the Strong's number is 7623. And it this word has kind of, honestly, a little bit of a weird uh, definition because it means to announce with a loud voice. But it also means to silence, and I was like, um, "How do, how does um, how do those two exactly go together to calm storms?" But it basically it, it's in the context of celebrating the power of God to extol His goodness. We, we when when we are under attack when the the something is going against God's kingdom and we're fighting against it. And we announce with a loud voice, the victory has been won. It is completed. 
that we the battle subsides. We bring a calm. And so this is about bringing peace. It's not peace in the sense of, of just no conflict. It's about peace with victory because the victory of God has already been won through the sacrifice of Christ. That is a reality. That is a truth. But each one of us are facing different battles that have to be won. And we win them by recognizing the power of God. We win them by obeying the, the leadership of God. And so when we pronounce Shabbat, um, <laughs> I've heard people even use that term and speaking Shabbat Shalom, meaning uh, announce the peace of God with a loud voice. So we say peace, the peace of God, and we celebrate the peace, the calmness, and, and it's joy too. It's, it's so, because that's the, the full definition is to soothe, to boast, to pronounce happy, to announce with a loud voice, to bring to peace, to calm, to silence. Um, talk, one of the verses that uses it talks about uh, God silencing the waves, silencing the rage of the ocean. <laughs> because if you've ever been to the beach, which is a beautiful, it's, a, it's actually a very soothing thing, but when you, if you're in a storm or you're trying to get through something, the waves can be what is knocking you left and right. So to, for that to be calm, that constant thing to be calmed, that's a pretty awesome thing. That's something to be announced, to be shouted with the power of God that he comes in. And so we, we understand this. This again, this is a, a, a war thing because it's, it means that the war is over. We have fought the good fight and we have accomplished it. And now we have peace. We have the power of God reigning in our life because the war has been won. So Shabbat, announce with a loud voice. And again, these are practical. Have you shouted? When was the last time that you shouted to God? <laughs> when have you said, hallelujah, and shouted, Yahweh, you are good. I love you. When we shout, we break through and announce this and it's not necessarily for us too. That's the thing. A lot of these um, aspects we we want to make so many things about personal. Well, what? Is, but many things are because we are joined together. When you are with people and you do this and you shout it and you speak this, it really does bring you full, completely out of where you were a lot of times. But a lot of times it is something that. Bring someone else that peace, that calm, because you just brought it. So shout with a loud voice. <laughs> we are supposed to make a loud noise unto God. It is not, again, I have to say it over and over again, as I'm going through this, I'm going to reiterate it. These are not optional. If you are not shouting with all your might, if you are not ever doing that and have never done that, you have not experienced something God wants you to experience. He wants to join with you. He wants you to know him on that level. So do it. Fifth word is Barak. Barak is actually a name of the guy who helped the um, judge, Deborah. Uh, and, and he, um, at one point, was um, she didn't necessarily want to just take charge. And she, he, she was like, you're a mighty man. Why don't you go, you go lead the army? And he was like, I will fight, but you're coming with me. I will fight if you're there. Um, but his name... Um, is we is used over and over again this word barak it means literally to kneel and we've talked about that worship is a common common thing to kneel down in worship to talk about kneeling but 
What it also means at the same time is to bless. Because in kneeling, we would, it means to bless someone, to, to give them the, the blessing of your affection, your desire, or, or towards a ruler to submit to them. But when David wrote, like in Psalm 103, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Those words bless in that verse are Barak. He uses the word Barak to kneel before the Lord, but to bless him, to give him our lives, to bless the Lord. Now, I, I know that David stirred himself up so many different times. This is not necessarily in that verse, but when he, he said, he said, why are you cast down on my soul? Over and over again, he says, bless the Lord. You know who he is. Submit to him. Don't submit to these fears. Don't submit to the pain. Don't submit to the frustration. Bless him. Turn to him. Give him honor. Do not forget. That's the second verse of that Psalm 103. Don't forget the things of God. Remember them. Stir them up. So in this blessing God, in this kneeling, that is what we're doing. We're recognized. We're remembering the things of God. And so we we want to praise him with those things. Talk about it. Remember, because a lot of the, this stuff is so empowering, but we forget. Satan wants us to forget. He wants you to not be empowered by what God has done for you. He wants you to forget it so that you are susceptible to whatever he's attacking you with. And you're saying, God, help me. God, help me. And God's like, I already did. Use it. Take what I gave you and use it. And so, like I said, this is used in submission to rulers. Well, God is our ultimate ruler. He is the, the, the most important ruler, and we submit to him when it means sometimes being attacked by other rulers because we're submitting to God. And that's something, a different topic, but we are not called to, to just obey whatever powers that be. We are called to know God, and so if they contradict God, we obey God first doesn't matter whether it's the government. It doesn't matter whether it's a, a family entity that is in authority that is controlling us. We obey God first. doesn't matter who you are, child or wife, you must learn that. And that's, a, that's a little, maybe a little more contradictory, I mean, controversial that somebody might. But I, I say that because we want to submit to God. And this is to Barak to kneel before God means we do that. We lay down even when it's uncomfortable, when it when it makes our life have to be completely messed up because the government doesn't want us to worship God. It doesn't want us to submit to God's ways or our spouse doesn't want us to or our parents don't want us to. It might mean that. And it doesn't mean that very often, thankfully, in most of our lives. But be empowered by this to, to really bless God, to kneel, to Barak now, the other aspect of this is in our modern world, we see this actually happening in proposal of marriage. What do men do? They get on their knee. It means to barak, to kneel, to bless their wife with pledging their lives to them. They're asking them to marry them, but it's, it's a, a honor. It is a blessing to their wife. They get on their knee and they they make their love known and their desire to marry them. I love that because this this shows us what the heart of God is in Barak. And so we bless God, we bless each other, we bless by showing this and to kneel in worship. And again, have you knelt in worship? Are you kneeling in worship? These words are so easy, 
understanding that when I, I've, I've experienced this so many different times, when I physically make myself get up and do this, I cross over that barrier. And that's what I was talking about before, about moving in the spirit. You begin to move in the spirit. It's not fake. It's not emotional. Yes, you can feel the emotions of it. Yes, the emotions can affect you. And yes, you can be controlled by emotions. We're not supposed to be controlled by them. We're supposed to actually put them in place. That's why I said with David, it's like, bless the Lord of my soul. Why are you cast down in me, my soul? You need to, your, my will, my, my mind, my emotions need to come into complete order with God, alignment with him. That's what I'm supposed to do. And so as you do that, you can begin to experience each one of these words. Moving on to six, which is taka, which is the number 8628. And it means, it's, it's where we get our word clap from. But it means to strike, to smite, to drive a nail or clap the hands or blow a horn. God tells us tells them to blow horns many different times in the in the scriptures, um, and if you've ever been in different worship services where you blow a a ram's horn or a shofar, um, that that is part of this um, this word taka. I guess that's how you pronounce it. I'm not the best again <laughs> pronouncing these words, um, but clapping your hands may seem like just a, such a simple action, but depending on what group you're you're part of, what type of services you're you're part of. Clapping may not be a big part of your normal experience at church. It might be a big part. You might clap a lot. And so you've experienced the, the fun of it, the excitement of it. But clapping, um, in the same way that clapping is a way that crowds clap you know, in, in honor or appreciation of a performer or watching a sport, the crowd will, will clap. You know, this, this action... It's what we do in recognition of God's hand in our life. And so clapping, literally clapping, is something that we can do to celebrate. And the Bible says to clap your hands to the Lord, all you people. Oh, clap your hands. Um, it is such a wonderful thing. That's um, I think that's Psalm 48 that, that really talks about that. Um, sing to the Lord with a voice of triumph. We're talking about God's victory. We honor him through clapping, physically, literally clapping. And I don't want to just emphasize the, the, the literal aspects of it, but I, but I do want, that is what the point of this is. If you're not clapping, you're not clapping. Don't think, well, this is a symbolic clapping. No, it's not. Clap with your hands. Let it be known to the people around you because you, you're going to affect them. You're going to infect them with the power, the love of God. But celebrating, you, you just like you would clap for somebody that you respect, uh, maybe it's you know the 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 king or whoever it is. Maybe it's it's a sports star or maybe it's someone who who um, came and gave a commencement speech. You'd clap for them, whatever it is. We re we do that all the time. But are we incorporating that into our worship in in ways deeper than than um, just the surface level? Now, obviously, it is kind of surface level. 
It's exciting. It's fun. There's nothing wrong with enjoying that. I think enjoying the things of God and celebrating them are a blast. And we should, and it's not le- less useful and it's not less deep. Stop don't don't let yourself think that in order to be having a powerful move of God that it means that I have to get into this more solemn or serious. No, a lot of times the most powerful things that are happening in your life are when you're celebrating the things of God, remembering what he's done, celebrating his victory. Now, especially when you're facing difficult things. If you're going through a hardship, you can clap in recognition of of God's victory and begin to mentally and emotionally rise above what you're facing. The reality and the harshness of what you're facing, you can rise above that through clapping. That is... Um, something that you can literally do, even by yourself. If you are being faced, uh, the way I, one of the ways I look at it is, is like you're when you start clapping and celebrating the things of God. It's like you're talking about um, the power of God. It's you may be being bullied. It's like a kid on the on the playground who's being bullied by somebody, and he stands up and he doesn't know it, but he starts talking about how powerful his his brother is. His big brother can do anything. And he doesn't know it, but his big brother's standing right behind him. That bully is going to stop doing what they're doing. They're going to turn away and leave them alone. And that's what we do. When we celebrate, Jesus comes right behind us. Our big, strong brother comes right behind us with his arms crossed, looking and just shakes his head and says, nope, not today. And the attack that we're under just goes away. It can't stand there because we we chose to clap to celebrate the victory of God. And JL, I mentioned Deborah a little while ago. Well, JL was another woman who was there that when in the battle that they were fighting, they um, were driving the armies away. Well, the, the leader, Sisera, he was running for his life and he was weak and tired. And he found JL at her tent and asked, um, I, I can't remember the, the actual details, but he went in and he fell asleep. And while he was asleep, she was sneaky, so she was quiet, and she took a tent stake and she drove it through his head. And that word drove there is taka. It's to clap, to bring victory, to defeat the enemy. JL literally did that, and the, the word is used there, the same word that we're supposed to use to clap, to celebrate the victory of God. I mean, these things are, I, I, I don't want to belabor anything, but it's just fun. It's exciting, and it's so useful. It's so practical. But we don't engage a lot of times, and we miss out. And so clap. Clap with all your might. Clap to the Lord. It's so awesome. Now, seven is Zamar. The word number is 2167, and it means to play an instrument, to play music and melodies, to create and express praise to God with an instrument. Um, this includes using our voices. It doesn't. It's not exclusive in that word, in that way. But it emphasizes the music, and I love this word because so many times, and I've said it myself because it it has a place to say this. But I also want to fully embrace this. Um, we often say that worship isn't music, but this emphasizes music. This word does and is used because we're supposed to play skillfully. We're told over and over again, different instruments, play on this instrument, play on that instrument, use the cymbals, use what the harp, um, different things like that. And we like to emphasize over and over again, well, worship isn't music, but it is 
We do that because we know that it's much more than music. Not that it isn't music. Some people might get confused and might actually believe that it's not music. And I know some people that are against music. I know some churches that refuse to have music and it's only voices that they sing with. But the Bible is very clear that we're supposed to use musical instruments. Um, obviously, the music can be used without anointing of God. You can play music for the devil. You can do music for, for many different reasons. But it's not so much about that instruments in and of themselves are worship. It's that we dedicate our music. And I'll get into that real fast. Um, but the anointing of God is necessary. When we play music, though, just like David, he played on his harp. It doesn't say he was singing. He, def- he caused the evil spirits to leave Saul. Music has an anointing. It has power when we actually worship God through, through music. So music is and can be and should be worship. Now, I don't want to place any type of, of legalistic restriction or on, on people's hearts, but I will say this. God led me to dedicate my music 100% to him and to not use music for anything other than worshiping him. And what that did was it created such a level of dedication, such a level of intimacy with God that I saw easily being lost, very quickly being lost when I use music for other things. And so I will. I want to admonish, if you, especially if you're gifted in music, um, the temptation to use it for self-gain, put that aside. Now, there are different forms of Christian music. There are different forms of using music that is not necessarily church-oriented and it's not even necessarily evangelical in, in nature that God wants us to do. I think we need to have Christian elevator music. We need to have Christian forms of every aspect of music because it's so powerful. But dedicate it to God. If you When you learn to do that instead of just for the enjoyment, because music can be very pleasurable in enjoyment, um, you will find that your intimacy in things of God grow. Now I'll also say when it comes to worshiping God, worship music, I know people that just listen to worship music all the time and that's all they have and it's it's like background music to them. I I have found that that can also be hindrance too. Don't don't just get caught up into letting something happen or thinking that just having worship music all the time, it becomes commonplace. Again, I talked about commonplace things, but God doesn't want things to be common. He wants them to be holy. And so Consider that. I guess that's a kind of a sidebar. But as a musician, so zamar means to play with an instrument. We want to play and not be contaminated with the world. We want to have the purity and the anointing to be able to connect to God and express and, and melodies and music and create worship through music. And so that comes through not adulterating that talent, that skill with other things. We must it must be remain elevated in our hearts and kept holy in our lives. Number eight is Tahila. The number is 8416. And I love this song. I mean, this, this word, because it means to sing a new song, boasting of God and who he is to us. <laughs> boasting of God. I love this. Paul talks about that. And I will boast in God. I will boast in him. And, and I'm not going to boast in anything else. 
I want to learn to boast better. I want to be so proud of my God. I want to be so proud of who he is and every aspect of my life to mirror that. But singing a new song is something that this embodies as well, because singing a new song refers to the fact that God is moving in our lives right now. We've talked about singing and remembering. I just talked about that, remembering the past, which is very, very important. But in this context, it's not about remembering the past. It's about right now. Because in this context, we are celebrating what he's doing or has just done in our life, literally just done. And that that brings such an, an excitement to us to express that, but it impacts other people who, who are drawn to God very powerfully through singing a new song. And that, that's what singing a new song really means. I, did a, I recently did a study on a new song and all the different passages where it talks about new songs throughout the Bible. And singing a new song, it really that's what it really is about. It's about God's doing things right now in my life. This is not just something that he did one time. He brought I, I remember go, him speaking to me or or I felt the warm feeling and I went to the altar and prayed, not knocking it again. I'm not ever putting those things down. I'm saying God is want, wanting to be real alive in your life right now. And God actually requires a new song from us. Again, these are requirements. If you are not actually experiencing things, then there's something wrong. If you're not able to sing a new song, and that's not literally a song necessarily because some of us can't sing or don't know how to sing, that's fine. Um, but it doesn't mean you can't sing for God. When, when you're in the presence of God, it doesn't matter whether you have a good voice or have capability of understanding um, how to, to sing or flow in a melody. It doesn't matter. You can sing out to God, and it is awesome. It's a blessing to other people around you even when you don't know how to sing. If you are bold enough to actually worship God with your voice, it will empower you and encourage other people. Now, singing a new song is something that is near and dear to my heart because it it is hearing from God currently what he's doing in my life and speaking it. That's prophetic right now, receiving from him. Now, <laughs> I don't want to just go right through to Healer really fast. I know that that this podcast is is a little bit longer than than other ones that I've done, and I don't want to go too long. But singing a new song comes from <laughs> the the, the Tehillah word comes from our last word, the ninth word, which is halal. And I waited for halal because I wanted to do it at the end. Because it's so amazing. Now, anybody who's been around me very much has heard me talk about halal. I don't talk about all these words all the time, but halal comes from the word is 1984, and I, there's different variations of it. The halal um, 1984b actually brings out a lot of aspects of that. So, if you're doing a study, look up 1984b is halal. Now, obviously, halal is where we get our word hallelujah. But we have made hallelujah into this clean, pretty thing that we say and express our praise and worship and, and, and praises to God. You know, it's the word literally means all praise to God or Yahweh. And <laughs> I, I, I love that. I love the word because it's so beautiful. And it's the same. You say it the same in every language that there is. Hallelujah is in all languages, this word has has grown throughout the entire world. And but halal 
means something very different. And I've been talking about this lately, how we want everything to be clean and nice. Our, our church experience should be something where you come and, and we hear the truth. We hear the, uh, you know, a message from about the, the, out of the Bible about something that is real and true. And we have songs that declare the truth of God. We want these things to be clean and neat, but our experience with God should be more like having a baby. It should be messy. It should be um, difficult even. It should be something that we brings such joy and satisfaction. It brings new life into the world, but it doesn't happen easily. It's not something that is just, just going to be this perfect little experience. It's going to come through hard work and effort and um, in a good way. Not in earning salvation. Again, I, you know, if you want to hear about that, go go listen to another episode that I've done on on earning our salvation or or being mature in God. So don't get hung up when I use words like that at all. You are supposed to know God on this level of halal, and the word means this. And get to the definition here. It's, it means to praise, but it means to celebrate, to boast, and rave. It means more, much more than just praising God. It's not this clean um, word. When David acted insane when, before the Philistines so that they wouldn't kill him, the word used is halal. It's insane. To rant and rave as a madman is what the definition of halal means. But it means much more because it, in the context that they, that they use this, like I said, is in worship. Hallelujah means to rant and rave like a madman who is in love with God. The context of this is to lose all control, to give yourself completely over to the desire for God alone. And again, this is not just a big picture thing. Yes, it, this is something that we must learn and grow in our life. But these, these are moments. If you are trying to be all clean and neat, and I keep using that terminology, if you are in a worship service and you are formal or um, not undignified, as David said, he will be more undignified. Than this he danced until his robe fell off, and he was his his wife looked with disdain upon him and and tried to shame him for what he did. If you are in that place and you are not experiencing this or have not, cry out to God. He wants you to experience this. He wants you to be so in love with Him that you operate as an insane person. Not insane because you've lost your mind and you don't have any practical sense in serving God. That's not what this is about. This is about actually truly giving yourself completely over to worshiping Him, completely over to loving Him. And the, the idea is pictured in a movie, like we see in movies a lot of times where this person is, they're, they're dating and trying to get to know each other and then something will happen and, the, and they're not sure or, or he's, she's moving on and he realizes at that point that, that she is so important to him. And so he just throws all caution to the wind, abandons everything, runs as fast as he can to her house or to the airport or whatever the, the scenario in the movie is. Or he goes out in the middle of the street and he looks up and he says, hey, that woman, you know, whoever it is, I'm in love with that woman. And, he, and everybody laughs and chuckles at, at, at seeing this, but he doesn't care anymore. That's what hallelujah is about. And that's why I saved this for last because if you have not experienced hallelujah, if you have sung hallelujah and you've said these words and we've had have these beautiful songs with hallelujah in it, but you haven't experienced that, God is demanding it. 
He's requiring it, but it, more than that, it's an invitation. And all this is an invitation. I emphasize that it is mandated, that God does require us to do these things. These are not things that we have the option to choose. If you go study and look at the words, the, the, these, the passages that use those words, it is. He tells us to do these things, to shout with a loud voice, to play on an instrument. These are, these are commands for us to do. But he also, it's an invitation. This whole thing about these words that God has given us are an invitation to be close to him, an invitation to, to break free from anything holding us back so that we will actually know him, we will actually be empowered by him, and we'll move in the spirit. We will be able to grow through the obedience, through the participation in these things. We become available to God. We get ourselves in a place where we are available to be used by him, to receive from him, and transform our lives, our families' lives, our church lives. Um, our society is depending on it. The world is groaning. It's crying out in travail, in pain, and misery. It wants to see the sons of God to be mature and full of these things, of expressing these things of worship. Because in, in the fullness of worship is when the enemies get put down. When the enemies that surround us, that they, they are completely defeated in the fullness of worship. This is something God is burning so deep. And get this, when David instituted worship, 24-7 worship on Mount Zion, two things happened. One is during that time of David's reign is when all the enemies of Israel were defeated. And the full kingdom was realized that God had promised to Abraham the whole land was in the possession of the kingdom of Israel. That was awesome. It was a fulfillment of that promise, but it took place when worship was established 24-7. That is awesome. The other thing that I noticed that happened is these men who were dedicating their life to worshiping God, they began to write songs. We have the book of Psalms, and that's not even all the songs that they wrote, but what I noticed, what occurred to me is that they were writing, they were getting so intimate with the presence of God and the power of God that they wrote the scriptures. They wrote the very words of God that we now have from the presence of God, from being in his presence, from having the fullness of worship, having tapped into it. And that's what we, this is the, this is what prophetic worship is about. This is what, when you hear people talk about needing to enter into the presence of God and, and to aspects of, of worship that we want prophetic worship and different, different people talk about things in different ways, but that's what it means that we are actually able to hear from God. We're actually able to be in his presence. We receive his word and we speak in, in real time what God is saying to us in that moment, in that gathering, that very specific moment in time. And just like the men there, maybe what we, what we hear is not going to be for everybody that we're going to write down and document that like in the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. But it's just as powerful. It's just as real and just as necessary. This is what is tapped in with, to with the power of God in the anointing of worship. So that's what I had on my heart. This is the last episode again for this season one. Um, 24 episodes. I really hope that, that you've been able to dig into them. God really put most of these topics on my heart very specifically for the podcast to to just go a direction that he was, that was on my heart. And I don't know when I'll start the second season. I've got some other ideas already going around, but I thank you so much. I appreciate you for, for listening. And I pray that you would share this. Um, this season is going to be here and available for anyone who hasn't heard, share it, please let get the word out. This is, this is, uh, 
a move of God in my spirit. And I want as many people to be blessed, to hear these things, to be encouraged, to grow. And that's what it's all about. It's about receiving the, the love of God, growing in intimacy. And so thank you guys for listening again. God bless you. And I will talk to you real soon. Everything lost will be renewed Long ago in the garden it was to be Now a dream fulfilled in you and me Whoa.